This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell. Toronto's News, Today's Talk, 640 Toronto. Well, my friends, you made it. Another week under our belt. It's the weekend indeed, Saturday night. Welcome to a show about money. Jack and I are going to, well, do our best to help you build wealth. That's what we do each and every week right here on 640 in Toronto. Uh, we bring on the sharpest minds uh, to help educate both you and I. Uh, you know, we sort of... You know, an unplugged version, uh, do our job live on radio. You get to witness it firsthand. You know, Jack, what I was thinking uh, to start with is many, many times people say, you know, they don't teach finance in school and they don't really teach portfolio management in school. Uh, certain traits you have to learn on the job site. Uh, but I was thinking, you know, if I were to create a course on money management and portfolio management, I would, I guess, do it over a 12 month period. And I would just go through the uh, the roles that you and I go through each and every day. Uh, look at the technicals, read the research, speak to analysts, speak to strategists, read the global news, the macro news, uh, and build a portfolio and a watch list and do this on a daily basis uh, and have the students from that watch list pick their positions and build a portfolio around that and guide them and teach them how to use all the tools. Uh, I think so that's the, way- the tool. The tools you're talking about, Wolf, are very important. They're very important for the day-to-day operations for investment management. But I also think that there should be a specific course uh, that you have on behavioral finance, how investors need to protect themselves from themselves. So talk about discipline, talk about saving, talk about living within your means. We're going to bring on Scott Chan shortly. You know, Canadians have a lot of debt. It means they're living beyond their means, stuff that they cannot afford, especially when it's consumer debt. Yeah, good debt and bad debt. That's uh, that, that's not really been a debate. It's always been assumed you take a mortgage that's good debt. <laughs> There's a lot of bad debt out there <laughs> no now kidding. that's been rising with variable rate mortgages. <laughs> oh, well, so oh, oh, oh. I, I, I got hit again this week, another 50 basis points uh, uh, coming out of my jeans. Uh, and by the way, Jack, you know, 50 basis points on a sizable mortgage can equate into another five or $7,000 a year uh, just the, to service that debt. That's money that will not make its way into the real economy. And by the way, I do have, so th- that's the course that I'm going to perhaps virtually one day create. Uh, a course on portfolio management. And yes, Jack will be the uh, uh, behavioral finance. Uh, uh, that'll be his one-on-one course know as thyself, well. Wolf, know thyself. Uh, know thyself what? is right. I, I agree. You talk uh, you about know, fear, fear and greed. Fear and greed. It's 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 those two uh, aspects of money management that creates good or bad habits. Can you control fear? Can you control greed? Right. And you need discipline. So you need discipline not to chase crypto. You need discipline to make a monthly savings plan. You need, you need discipline you know, to, to live within your means and make sure that you are able to make that, uh, whether it's 100 or or $1,000 a month, whatever you can afford to save. Uh, we've had Sandy McIntyre on a number of times. He talks about compounding, the power of small numbers. And you, know, you talk about being able to save $5 a day. When, when you add time into that and a reasonable rate of return, uh, the compounding is magic. You know, it's incredible because uh, in terms of uh, discipline, when you really look at the, the, what's required to, to build a solid uh, program, uh, there are a lot of boxes that need to be checked off. And again, having a partner to work with you, i.e. a team like Jack and I, uh, invaluable, I think, in, 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 completely invaluable, uh, totally invaluable, uh, however you want to phrase it. Uh, you know, how do, how do you get the biggest bang for your buck? What are all those boxes that need to be checked? And there is a laundry list of them. But in terms of just savings buckets, you know, buckets that need to be filled up with money, of course, there is an RESP for your children's education, important to everyone. There is your own RRSP that people delay way too often. They should start as soon as they work. There, of course, is um, see you later money. 
I have a better word for that, <laughs> off air. But see you later, money. Uh, you know, just in case you want to do your own thing one day, you have some money aside from that. And perhaps your see you later money can can start by uh, going into your tax-free savings account. Uh, but just uh, to do all of those things, TFSA, RESP, RRSP, and a bit of see you later money, uh, that, 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 that requires effort. Yeah, I'll add another one in there, Wolf, a charitable giving. Just yep. this, just this morning, you. so Thursday morning, had a client call. They wanted to take $20,000 out of their account. I said, okay, no problem. We'll send you the cash. It's for you know the Christmas season. He said, no, it's actually to give to charity. I said, interesting. You have a lot of capital gains. Why not donate in kind? So that's what he's doing. And as opposed to realizing gains, selling stock, donate the shares in kind. Charity gets the full contribution. You don't realize additional capital gains. You pay less in tax. Charity gets the same amount. So they, they are gonna they're gonna donate twenty thousand dollars in stock. Yes. And that stock would have perhaps been Exxon Mobil, which has been a hundred percent mover for them. Uh, so in fact, they're out of pocket. If if they give the X twenty thousand bucks of Exxon Mobil, they're out of pocket is in fact only ten thousand dollars. Yeah. Yet they're going to get a charitable benefit of twenty thousand dollars. That's great financial advice because that person otherwise would have just written a check for twenty grand, and that would have then been twenty grand out of pocket, and they would have gotten half back. Now they're going to get ten out of pocket, get half back of twenty. They'll, it'll basically cost them nothing. Right. And you talk about having partners and being efficient with your money. That's just a simple example Very of how simple. we can add value. Very simple. And you know, just getting someone to get get started on a monthly savings plan. Once you set it and forget it, you're good as gold. Uh, and who was that client that you spoke to, Jack, recently? You know, said, client, uh, I guess you called them up and they said to you, gee, I haven't spoken to you in a while. What was your response to that, Jack? Well, they hadn't spoken to us for the, the duration of the year because we were managing their money, outperforming uh, our benchmarks. And they were dollar cost averaging. They, they, were doing they, were what they, were, they were doing what they were supposed to do. They were saving on a monthly basis. So Automatically. we set up the plan and it was working. And it worked. And it worked. Yep. It doesn't need to be complicated, but you got to check the boxes. Uh, and again, uh, Jack, when, when you and I look to buy assets, when we make investments in particular companies, i.e. buy stocks, uh, we have to check the boxes. We have our pre-flight checklist and things that we want to look at to make sure that th- that particular investment is going to fit the bill. Uh, and one of them is to speak to a person who knows the company inside now. That's called an analyst. We're blessed to have some great analysts at Canaccord. Scott Chen, he's our bank analyst. Uh, fantastic guy, very smart, uh, and always available to Jack and I. Scott, uh, I can't thank you enough for joining us again on Hi-Fi Radio, my friend. Welcome back. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, guys. I apologize for the long intro. I was afraid you might have uh, uh, opened up some income statements and balance sheets uh, in the uh, in the (laughs) in the the green room there, shall I say? But uh, nonetheless, thank you very kindly. Uh, Just called you yesterday uh, about a company called Element Financial, uh, Canadian leasing giant, seven and a half billion dollar company. I've always been so suspect of that stock. I don't like companies that that lease stuff. I I just have these visions of airlines and, and 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 car rental companies. That when things go cold, they can go really, really cold uh, and, and cause all kinds of havoc. Uh, this company is obviously doing a lot of things right. You don't have official coverage on the name, uh, but you still have an opinion uh, enough that you're comfortable sharing it with us. So I want to just you know, on air thank you for that advice. But I do want to keep you on track to make sure that compliance is happy with everything that we do. Uh, so we'll start with your official your official coverage universe, which is the Canadian banks and Canadian insurers. Uh, earning season. Uh, it's basically complete now for the Canadian banks. Uh, in your opinion, with with rising interest rates, with the economy going into a recession, um, how did the banks perform overall? In your opinion? Yeah, um, I would say overall it, it was mixed, um, and you saw it in the stock performance on uh, on each of the big six banks, right? Like CIBC was uh, the clear laggard uh, after uh, after a kitchen sink quarter and, and a massive EPS miss. 
Uh, and we saw some stocks that were up um, uh, in the quarter, including TD Royals, you know, the two biggest uh, banks in, uh, in Canada in terms of market cap and BMO as well. So uh, there was some good, there was some bad. Uh, There's a lot of kitchen sinking. Fiscal year-end results are always um, but the quarter that that tends to have the most volatility, and, and we certainly saw that with uh, with bank results last week. The good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, so I guess CIBC was the ugly duckling in the bunch. We own the stock, by the way. Getting paid well. Um, eight times earnings. Uh, there's a couple of Canadian banks that are really, really cheap. Obviously, for a reason. Um, Jack, you and uh, Jack Scott, I want you to. Uh, uh, work with us uh, on this. Uh, Jack has said to me over and over again, Wolf, Canadian banks, pretty straightforward. Just buy the laggard. Uh, they all tend to mean revert. Uh, Scott Chan, bank analyst, do you agree with that statement? Uh, you know, over time, because we, we, we've done the analysis over time of the past several decades, and, and typically it, uh, it does work. But I would say in today's environment, it kind of goes back to your opening remarks. There's so many things that are changing uh, recently, over the last uh, few years, starting with COVID and, and now fears of a recession and housing issues. And uh, it just makes it a lot more difficult to make that statement today uh, than, than in the past. Uh, but if I look at the last 10 years in terms of performance, total return, uh, the bank performance has been uh, you know, pretty consistent, low double-digit returns, including dividends. And CIBC has been the laggard, including BNS on that front. Uh, but I'd say from a short-term basis, um, you know, you, you can really, uh, you know, pick the good and the bad. Uh, but I think over the medium long term, uh, I, I think that, uh, that that statement would still apply with Canadian banks. Yeah. And in terms of uh, the Canadian banks, just to remind me uh, and the audience, perhaps Canadian banks pay juicy dividends, about half of their earnings. Scott can get specific with that. Roughly half their earnings uh, are paid out in dividends. And the irony is, or the good news is that we often forget is what every second quarter, Approximately, uh, Scott, they raise their dividend. About is that therefore two times a year? Canadian banks tend to raise their dividends. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right, Wolf. Um, two times a year. TD is the one bank that does it once per year, and um, like in this uncertain environment and going through fiscal year end results, all the banks raise their dividends. Wow, uh, as expected, except for Bank Nova Scotia, which I think is going to an annual method. And with Bank Nova Scotia, there's a new incoming CEO. So I think the board is going to kind of wait a couple quarters in terms of uh, applying a dividend. But, you know, TD raised their dividend 8% at the high end. Uh, at the low end with CIBC at 2.5%. You talk about the juicy dividend yields. You know, it's, 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 it's you know, 4.5% greater. Um, you know, looking at the average in CIBC and BNS would be at the high end uh, at well over 5% right now. Yeah, over 5%. And again, dividend tax credit, better than GIC. And you get dividend growth and, well, the potential for share appreciation. But things are a-changing, and I want to find out more about what is changing. And certainly the guard has changed at this uh, Bank of Nova Scotia. Uh, They hired from uh, outside in. I want to get Scott Chan's opinion on that. Bank analyst with Canaccord. Hi-Fi Radio, show about money, 640 in Toronto. Going to take a quick break and get right back to it. Stay tuned. Let's take a break. Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto.
welcome back. Who doesn't want to be a richer man? I'll tell you something I learned in this building 20 years ago, Jack, and it is that change is the only constant. And uh, we see people resist change all the time in life, and it is an exercise in futility. We have to learn to embrace change, adapt. Uh, and Jack, I like the, the, the line you often use to me You know, when it comes to managing money and uh, viewing the world. Uh, we want to try to be like water and flow. <laughs> We help people transition and change as they go through the life cycle. You're going, yep. in, you know, as you start to save, you start to, as you start to work, you start to save. As you get older, you do your financial plan and then you move into retirement. So we help. Do you have kids in between, Jack? Hopefully, a little hockey, hopefully, little hockey up in the rink, Jack? How's the hockey going? Uh, hockey is going very well and I've just actually built my outdoor rink. So we're, we're looking forward to the, the cold weather and uh, the, the team's doing great. Did I tell you I voted for you for coach of the year? I appreciate that. Coach of the year, Jack. So I, I got one. I got one at least. Yeah, yeah, one you, vote. You got you got new market corner. <laughs> you get an out of town vote. <laughs> Scott Chan, our bank analyst, is joining us. We're talking banks, Canadian banks, cornerstone investing. Um, but there's you know change out there. Scott says COVID recession talk, most publicized recession on earth. Uh, friends, please wait, wait, when you finally see the recession print in the headlines, don't call your financial advisor. Oh, we're in recession. What you? It's baked into the cake. It is so baked into the cake. You know, hard landing, massive unemployment, not baked into the cake. But a recession, yeah, baked into the cake. It's going to happen next year. Fede compli. And uh, I won't be surprised to see the market rile uh, go up uh, on the bad news, uh, as long as the news isn't too bad. Uh, Canadian banks, cornerstone investing, uh, changes uh, abroad at the Scotiabank. Uh, Scott Thompson, the new uh, chief executive officer, uh, going to be taking hold. And I understand when they were looking to fill that position, Scott, uh, two uh, candidates within were vying for the position, <clears throat> didn't get it. And again, uh, to go outside and, 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 and find a new steward for one of the largest banks in Canada uh, was, was, was somewhat unorthodox. Uh, usually, you know, groomed from within, rise through the ranks, uh, enter into the uh, top position. Didn't happen this time at Scotia. And I understand that those who didn't get the position weren't necessarily the happiest campers uh, uh, within the campground. Uh, but I do hear good things about uh, the new CEO. He had great personality, very driven. Uh, Scott Thompson uh, is the new CEO of Scotiabank. Uh, what's your thoughts about uh, the appointment uh, and then about the morale at, at the Bank of Nova Scotia. Again, it's, it's been a lagging bank stock. I'm long the stock. It's cheaper than chips. Eight times earnings, almost a 6% dividend yield. Um, but uh, come on, guys. Little Nova Scotians, get going. Yeah, yeah. No, as you stated, um, the, uh, the the top two candidates were internal uh, over the past year. Uh, and the market, uh, you know, kind of knew that. And most of these companies, when they go through a succession plan with Brian Porter, on his impeding retirement, um, you know, usually telegraph it to the market. The market doesn't like surprises. And what Scotia did is they went off the board uh, and hired someone external, which is unheard of uh, in the banking sector, and yeah. just, uh, but globally, uh, and raises a lot more questions than answers, uh, specifically around, uh, you know, internal and, uh, and strategy, right? And, and, and I think that's why Scotia stock has been relatively underperforming uh, post the news is that uncertainty in the market from shareholders and Scott's got to, you know, develop a strategy and, and in the course of 2023, uh, he'll be able to um, emulate that to shareholders, prospective shareholders and on the internal front as well. Uh, I would say morale at Scotia is probably very difficult right now and, and a bit uncertain uh, having someone outside come in uh, and look at the bank with, uh, with a fresh set of eyes. 
Well, you know something? It, uh, I learned this in advertising, and it's a beautiful phrase. Uh, it's difficult to read the label when you're inside the bottle. So therefore, fresh eyes, outside perspective, often can be a real benefit. Uh, obviously, growing pains uh, between here and there. Um, do you think it's going to work out in the end? Do you think Scotia is going to get back to a you know fair market multiple? In other words, will that value gap diminish over time? Do you think it'll trade at 10 or 12 times earnings again? I, I I I think it will. It's going to take time, though, uh, like not a year. It will take time to uh, unveil the strategy. Remember, Scott Thompson was on the board or is on the board of, uh, of Bank of Nova Scotia since 2016. So he does know the strategy uh, specifically on one of its main growth areas, which is the international segment. Right. Um, that's why we own the stock. We want some exposure. Why. It was a safe way to get some emerging markets exposure. Uh, and it's also a way to benefit from a weaker U.S. dollar, which we do think is going to unfold next year. You agree with that? I agree with that. I agree with that. And then at Finning, um, Scott Thompson was there for, I would say, almost 10 years, maybe the high single digits. But Finning's LATAM exposure was, uh, you know, was an important piece of the business. And, and I think he can uh, bring some parallels onto uh, Scotia as they... Uh, as they uh, kind of resume that path for growth on the international segment there. Fitting, so, sorry, fitting the industrial stock, the, the heavy equipment company? That's where it came from, yeah. Yeah, the, cat, the cat Wow. So, yeah. so the man went from, from, from diggies to banking. Why not? I went from broadcast to finance. Good for him. That's, that's interesting. So, so the other big announcement this quarter, uh, Scott, was the fact that RBC is looking to buy the, the Canadian division of HSBC. Um, the Canadian banks basically have, they do have an oligopoly uh, on the Canadian market. Uh, not a lot of foreign competition. That means higher prices, less product, more fees for clients. Um, what's your take on the HSBC acquisition and uh, how is it going to move forward and how, how do you see it proceeding? Um, we got Royal, World's uh, intent to spend $13.5 billion for HSBC Canada, as you, uh, as you talked about. Um, the expected close is late 2023. So we've got a year... A world has got a year to go through the competition bureau and whatnot and answer questions to, to see why this acquisition would be good. Because as you stated, um, the banks have an oligopoly here. They, they control 75 to 80% of the PNC market. That's at HSBC Canada. Despite them being the seventh biggest bank in Canada, um, you know, the market share is about 2%. Um, but in Royal's case, they are the dominant leader in Canada uh, at close to 30. So uh, I think that's the biggest hurdle on the, uh, on the acquisition is, uh, is the number one PNC player getting a bit more market share uh, in this environment. I, I will say that Royal has probably done a lot of due diligence on this, on, on their recent call. They, they remain confident um, that, um, that, that, that this will pass, uh, although the market is going to be watching this over the next several quarters till close. Scott, let's talk about the insurance stocks. And again, Jack, I think very astutely this year pointed out uh, some pressure uh, for fund flows. In other words, money leaving the Canadian banks because of housing, because of interest rates, uh, yet it stays in the space of financials. And you've seen a lot of strength in the likes in two stocks that we picked up on probably late in the year, but we're still up on the trades knock on wood, uh, is Definity Financial and Intact Financial, just basically automotive and home uh, insurance companies. Uh, can, can you speak to that, th- those fund flows, and how do you see next year unfolding? Do you see the banks reattracting some capital, or do you, do you see more of a continuation of what's taking place this year with the financials, other parts of it, a- attracting some of that uh, investment money? Uh, no, I think that's a good point. I think with the PNC stocks, Definity and Intact, uh, clearly it's been a, a great year for those stocks um, in this market. 
Uh, speaking of the life goes, the life goes have actually performed quite well as well. Uh, and I think you are getting uh, sources of capital from uh, other sectors, including uh, the banks, right? As kind of people peel off um, a bit of exposure on the banks and uh, and put it into the insurance sector. Uh, the one big tailwind on the insurance sector is is the higher yield environment, right? And uh, you know specifically the life codes benefit a lot. Think about Manulife and Industrial Alliance and all their insurance products, annuity products, seg fund products. Uh, that's a pretty good tailwind and, and typically supports uh, stock performance and a higher multiple. And, and I think you're starting to see that in the insurance sector. Yeah, agreed. I'm, I'm noticing a bit of strength, and again, another lagger, which is the Maney Life uh, organization. It's, it's, it's been ten years, Wolf. And you, you talk about secular. <laughs> no, we kicked off the <laughs> segment with with change, and you know, investors are often uh, slow to embrace secular change. And if we are in a higher for longer interest rate environment, you know, maybe that ten year, I'm going to say, base building effect for um, for Maney Life, or the fact that investors have not made any money other than the dividend for the last ten years, um, it's built a big base. And if we're in a higher for longer type of environment. Very accretive for uh, those insurers' uh, earnings long term. Scott, if you if you may, interest of time, um, give us a couple of your best ideas uh, again for mid to longer term investors at these at current levels. Yeah, at current levels, uh, the banks would be uh, would be TD, Emo, uh, and Bank of Nova Scotia. You know, that's a turnaround. Not wouldn't say a turnaround story, but we kind of talked about Scott Thomas coming in, and, and I'm and I'm favorable on that uh, that transition. We'll see what comes to it on that. Uh, on the insurance side, it would be uh, Sun Life and Industrial Alliance. Uh, and then on the asset manager side, which are finally getting tailwinds with the, with the market in terms of Q4 to date, uh, equity market performance uh, would be Onyx and CI, I would highlight. On- Onyx and CI. Very interesting. Private equity, that's, that's been a very interesting uh, space. A lot of uh, recent pain uh, being witnessed. Uh, you know, I, I just, we, we actually closed out our positions very handsomely, by the way, on Apollo, Carlisle, and Blackstone. Uh, Brookfield Asset Management is also a big private equity operator. Uh, I know that's not one of your names, but it is treated as a financial. Um, Across the street, the street, I think, is pretty comfortable for, for, to the mid, mid and long term on Brookfield. Uh, but in the shorter term, uh, Scott, can you speak as to what you think that stock's going to do in the next three to six months? Because it certainly is not going in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, my, my, my colleague, uh, Mark, covers Brookfield uh, Asset Management. And I think the spin out of their asset management segment um, uh, starts uh, December 9th. So we'll see how that trades. And it kind of... It kind of segues into Onyx because Onyx has got a big asset management and wealth management platform, including the acquisitions of Luskin Chef, where the market doesn't ascribe any value for. And what Brookfield is trying to do is to ascribe a greater value than what the stock is presenting itself right now. Uh, and that's why we're favorable on Onyx on that medium-term catalyst. Uh, I didn't know stock. they bought Gluskin Chef. Yeah, they bought Gluskin Chef, I would say, three or four years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. So. When you're looking at Onyx, Scott, um, reoccurring fee-based revenue, and that's similar to what's going on with, with Brookfield. They're, they're, not, they're not really getting the valuation that they're looking for, so that's why they're spinning it out. What kind of a multiple? So what should investors pay for reoccurring fee-based revenue from you know private equity-type firms? I, I would say at least 15 times um, on, on that. So it would be a premium to the traditional asset managers like a CI. So, fi- um, so 15 times earnings is what you're saying. 15 times plus earnings, yeah. And, and, I, and I think it was, it was actually a lot higher, um, you know, I would say at the start of the year. 
and there's certainly been uh, headwinds within the private equity space. And, and well, if you talk about Blackstone, I was just looking at the chart today, and that chart does not look good. And it's down 50% from its highs, and, and that's like the highest. Yeah, we, so we sold it above par. We got above par, but we, and we had a great pass on it. I'll tell you something about Blackstone. This is one of the most exciting um, uh, autopsies I performed on a stock. Uh, I asked Zach, uh, I said, Zach, do me a favor, accumulate uh, or tabulate how much dividends we received while we owned Blackstone. Uh, I, I think we were up 150% on the stock, plus, plus the stock paid us about $20 of dividends while we held it. That was basically 60% of the share price. So we got back 60% of the share price in dividends, and we got on a double on the stock. It was an outstanding trade. I want, I, I'm coming back to that baby. That baby will be back in my uh, in my home. Uh, oh, yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful company. It's just out of favor right now. Um, so it's, it's on my short list. It's, it's on my short list, as, as is Microsoft. There's nothing in that we we're And you, you want to you own high-quality companies, which Blackstone is, which Microsoft, they both are high-quality companies. You just want to you know, buy them at the right part of the cycle where they're attracting money. Right now, they're just sort of going through a bit of a consolidation phase, we'll say. Yeah. Scott Chan, can't thank you enough, my friend. You're a great partner to the Wolf on Bay Street team. Uh, fantastic analyst at Canaccord. Uh, Well-regarded. Uh, appreciate your time. Uh, Jack, who's, who's going to join us next? We have Rob Young. Rob Talking Young. Technology. Tech Canadian analyst technology at Canaccord. And U.S. Very exciting. Baby Love Rob. Crypto. Rob is a funny guy. He's a smart guy. Again, a great partner that we have at Canaccord and the Wolf on Bay Street team. It's Hi-Fi Radio 640 Toronto. It is a show about money. Any questions? For Jack or I, anytime, thewolfonbaystreet.com, wolfgangkline.com. Uh, send us a note. We'll get right back to you. Uh, no question too big, no question too small. We answer them all. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment on 640 Toronto. Welcome back. It is Christmas. I get to play a bit of that stuff. Funny, I was just thinking about trading places as we're queuing up some tunes. For some reason, I was just thinking about the Eddie Murphy and trading places. What a great movie that was. So much fun. Orange Futures. So Orange much fun. Features. So much fun. Um, soft commodities. They're interesting space. Uh, I, I don't really pay a lot of attention to uh, the soft commodities, which uh, Orange uh, Juice Futures are. Um, but we certainly do watch the egg stocks uh, a fair bit. And uh, they certainly are not rolling over. They're, they've given back a little bit, the egg stocks, but they, they certainly feel like they want to go higher. It's all about feeding the world. Uh, and, of course, the, the, the war in Ukraine doesn't make uh, any of that uh, much easier. But you know what does make the world easier? The world function certainly is technology. Uh, and, you know, supply chain disruptions, uh, ships stuck in canals. A company here in Canada helps alleviate those problems. It's a stock that you and I own, Jack, for our clients. Uh, high-quality stock called Descartes. Uh, Rob Young. Uh, tech analyst with Canaccord. Uh, he covers Descartes. Uh, Rob, appreciate your time. Good morning. Uh, joining Thanks, us on. Hi- you know, you're very welcome, Rob. Um, this is a stock that I've been studying and watching for years, Rob, and I've always been hesitant to buy it. Um, and, you know, I don't buy it. And six months later, 12 months later, it's higher. And it just has done that to me year after year after year. Mm-hmm. And I finally capitulated. Actually, I bought it once and then cut the loss on it because it rolled over and then it went higher. If I find it, here's a pullback. I'm going to buy the stock, and I'm going to close my eyes. And, I, and the reason I'm going to try my best to do that with this name is because Canada doesn't have tech. We have oil. We have trees. Um, 
Yeah, so we have. We have oil and trees and a couple of trains that move it around and six banks. Great banks, great railways, uh, but we don't do a lot of tech. Yeah, we had Nortel. Hello. 30% of TSX. That was a problem. Um, we got Shopify. It was bigger than Royal Bank for a while. Well, that's, that, there's a problem. So was Research in Motion. Um, and, you know, you, when, when you're bigger than Royal, you're, you're set to fail. That's all I can say. Uh, but Descartes is a stock. First of all, it's only a $2 billion company. It's a software logistics stock. Um, it just seems to fire on all cylinders over and over and over again. And, you know, tech has been wrecked. Uh, you know, valuations are down 75 to 80%. Not Descartes. Not Descartes. No, and I, I think one of the reasons uh, a name like Descartes has what I call a Canadian scarcity premium. There is no tech in Canada. And when there's a good one, you're forced to buy it. Is there any truth to what I'm saying to you, Mr. Rob Young? No, I can't disagree with anything you just said. I think in times like this where money is leaving the tech sector for other sectors, you get this tendency for uh, high-grading portfolios that are in the tech sector. So people, trade, they'll trade out of companies that are lower quality into higher quality. And so companies like Descartes uh, tend to benefit from that dynamic. So if you were to compare Descartes, because I saw some of your metrics and tables, it's a bit of an odd one to 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 uh, compare because it, mm-hmm. it does a couple of different things. And if you want to get granular in that discussion, please, by all means. Um, but if you were to stack it up against its comparable peers in America, because when I buy tech, my friend, I'm going to look at America first. I'm going to go to Microsoft first. I'll go to Google. I'll go to Apple. I'll go to Meta. I'll go to Amazon. I'll go to the CrowdStrikes, the Zscale. And I'll go down the American list first because I know that's what they do. They do it very, very well. Silicon Valley, right? They got the right weather for it. Uh, we'll um, how does Descartes stand up from a valuation point of view against America? Because we usually have that big premium here in Canada. Well, it, it's different because uh, it's slower growth, but it's very profitable. So uh, one of the dynamics uh, at play recently is they have been increasing their guidance around their EBITDA margins, and they typically wow. convert a very high portion of their EBITDA into free cash flow. And so a lot of the tech sector, particularly at the high end of the valuation spectrum, they're high growth and uh, you know either cash flow neutral or burning cash to support that growth. So, so no EBITDA. Right. right. So Descartes is a middle growth company right now, somewhere around 10%. Yep. Last night, they reported uh, 16% constant currency growth, but that's expected to decline a bit. Um, but Still alongside that sort of middle range growth, they have fantastic profitability. Yes, but what, 40, profitability isn't it 40% increase. EBITDA margin? That's right. Yeah, and so if you were to look at then other software companies uh, that are profitable, if you want to look at Microsoft, what kind of EBITDA margins can they turn out? Well, you wouldn't look at Microsoft in terms of an EBITDA multiple. You would look at them in terms of a gap earnings multiple. Fair enough. You would think of something, you know, 30% or higher um, for a company at scale. There's a, there's a, there's a, a slight, uh, there's a rule of uh, venture capital called the rule of 40, where if uh, you want a combination of um, revenue growth and EBITDA margins of 40 or free cash flow margin, free cash yeah. flow margins. And so if you're not growing, you'd, be expected to have 40% EBITDA margins. If you're you know, if you're growing at 40%, then you would be forgiven for not having any EBITDA margins. And so, I mean, a company like Descartes at the uh, outside of that rule because they have higher EBITDA margins. Then they do growth. At the same time have growth. Interesting, interesting. So, uh, is that what the the, the market, Rob? Uh, sorry to uh, jump in there, but uh, is is that what the market is rewarding now? So they're they're looking for more profitable growth because you know yeah. when 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 money was free. 
you may as well, you know, look at uh, total addressable market, TAM in the industry. Everyone was talking about the TAM is this big, the TAM is this big. So we're going to just grow and grow and grow. But the fact is it was not profitable growth. So is that what the market's rewarding now? And, and what's sort of a, a good um, multiple to have? So revenue, should revenue be growing at 10 and then EBITDA margins at 30? Or, or what's where's sort of the sweet spot there? Well, I think it's it's more of a um, the investors are putting companies into two buckets. There's a bucket that's profitable, and there's a bucket that's not profitable. And I think a lot of investors are just not looking at that unprofitable bucket. So, mm-hmm. um, in that unprofitable bucket, you can't really value them unless you look at a revenue multiple, which a lot of investors just don't want to do right now. And so, what's happening is, uh, you know, the focus. Uh, uh, for investors has been on that bucket that's profitable. And so, um, you know, the right multiple to look at there has been changing a lot because relative valuation is a tool, you know, analysts have been using for a long time. A lot of that is dislocated right now. We're trying to uh, understand what multiples should be in a, you know, in a market where interest rates are, you know, where they are right now, you can go and you can get a USGIC for four or 5% have no, you know, no risk at all. And so that's a cash on cash return of four or 5%, no growth, no risk. And so what are you willing to pay for a company that's growing, but has higher risk? And so, you know, when interest rates were lower and, and, you know, the the price paid for zero risk was a lot less, people were willing to pay a lot more for technology companies to defer that profitability in the future. Now it's, it, all of that has changed. And so multiples and what people are willing to pay is completely different today, much lower. We're talking tech, Typhi Radio, Rob Young, tech analyst with Canaccord, Jack Hartle by my side. It is the month of December. Uh, year's coming to a close. It's started week. Month of December's been a little week. It's a bit of a uh, sanguicho, eh? Two slices of bread those two months. And, well, not too much meat in between. Anyways, next year's another year. And, well, we'll see, of course, if tech can uh, regain some strength. But we're going to talk to Rob about that coming out of the break. Stay tuned. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. Yes, I'm living at a place like you. Ooh, yeah. with the Welcome back. I'll tell you, when I heard the news that that band was booked for the Research Emotion Christmas Party, kiss o death I said. It was absolute kiss o death And they should just listen to the lyrics of that song. It's all in those lyrics. But no, they didn't listen. They partied on for about three months and bye-bye. Sorry, Jack. Wolf, how about the FTX Stadium in Miami? Tell me. Well, is that out of sign? Once you start naming stadiums after companies That's like amazing. That? Company, oh, so oh, let's oh, talk oh about that. So again, to share with the audience who FTX is, if they're not familiar with it. Well, I'm going to let Rob actually do that because he'll probably do it a lot, All more, right, go ahead. A lot better than Add I will. Add color to this one, Rob. Make us laugh, buddy. Yeah, crypto, uh, stadiums purchased, uh, scandal. Give us the story, buddy. Well, I wouldn't say I'm an expert in, in FTX, but it's uh, you know it was a, an exchange that rocketed to the top of the, the charts in crypto. And so now uh, we see that underneath there was a lot of um, you know questionable uh, activities and so all of a sudden uh, that business has essentially disappeared overnight. Um, Along with how so, much money? How much money's missing? Do we know? Oh, I don't know. It's a lot. Billions, right? A couple billion. But it also took down some of this. I don't say took them down because they're not down, but it, it, it a lot of 
high-profile investors were involved with it. You know, teachers' pension had a small, I say small sliver slice. It, it I, I don't want to it, 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 it was tiny. But, Sequo- but it, 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 I would say Sequoia. You're right. right? No, the, the headlines, it, it didn't make for good headlines. It embarrassed these funds. They had to defend their mm-hmm. position. Teachers had to defend their position. How dare you have a position in, in crypto? Well, guys, if you read our prospectus, yeah, we're allowed to take some um, moonshot bets with a little bit of the capital. Let's you know how we stay current and fresh. And we don't want to miss out either. We got to manage this money for decades, not days. Uh, but yeah, they, they took a slapping. And teachers, you know, honestly, uh, I'm not going to call my competition, but uh, they are what they are. They do an amazing job managing their pension. I wish Canada Pension Plan was like teachers' pension plan. There's some... My poor brother passed away, Russell. He's going to collect no Canada pension plan. He worked for 40 years and he collected like eight months of Canada pension plan. I, well, and what's I, he going to get? I gotta, I gotta a death benefit <clears throat> of $2,500. So I got to push back on that. I think, I think both pensions are actually managed exceptionally well, CPP and teachers. The difference is the structure for CPP. Fair, fair enough. You, you are correct. I agree with you. The way that, the way it's set up, the CPP is basically uh, those who are working are paying for all those who are retired. As it's a transfer to, of wealth. It's a transfer of That's wealth. It. Yeah. The, the, yeah the, the, the money is well invested. Uh, anyways, it is funny, isn't it, Rob, when you see these you know, outrageous events taking place or outrageous mm-hmm. purchases taking place by corporate America. It usually is the sign of the top. No different. And it's been proven, eh? When a stock is added to the Dow Industrials, which, by the way, is an index of 30 stocks, and you enter the index through your share price. High share price stocks go in the Dow Industrials, which tends to be the largest companies. But usually, as a kiss, kiss of death, stocks usually do not perform well. I will throw another one out there. Tony Dwyer actually highlighted this a couple of years ago. When a group of stocks has an acronym... They tend to be topping out too, oh. and we had the Fang stocks. And I think you want to talk about Microsoft Wolf. So maybe the yeah, funny thing, my buddy JT talked about the Fang stocks, and once they had that acronym, he thought that was a kiss of death. And they it wasn't. For a while, yeah. They went for a long while because uh, I remember it was Jim Cramer. I think who came up with the word Fang. Um, hey, Rob. I'm sure he did. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, so let's carry on down the path of technology. Um, did you think it's going to have any legs next year? And uh, you know, you look at some of these companies, and I think off here you mentioned to Jack uh, Meta. Again, you don't follow it formally. You don't follow Facebook formally. Um, but you know, you're, you're certainly more qualified than Jack and I talk about tech stocks. Uh, Microsoft looks very compelling here, but the chart looks lower. What do you think? Mm. Well, I mean, every tech stock is down from the highs at the end of last year, but this is an opportunity, you know, for a lot of investors to high grade into really good, you know, long, you know, very mature, very strong business models. And Microsoft, you know, sits at the top of that. Uh, he, they've got, you know, exposure to cloud through Azure. They've got exposure to, you know, video gaming. They've got exposure to Office. Uh, you know, the most widely used subscription software tool, Excel, is, um, you know, Microsoft. They've, it's just a very diversified business in a lot of the most important areas of tech. And widely, you know, seen as having very strong management. Satya Nadella is seen, you know, as a very, very strong, you know, CEO. From people looking at the valuations, uh, notable that their, you know, gap EPS and their adjusted EPS are essentially the same because they, you know, they include stock-based comp, which is always an argument in tech. Good for them. Um, Good for them. It's a it's a well-run, uh, growing business uh, that's well diversified and um, it's you know familiar to everybody. And so, I mean, it's it's an issue for a lot of the tech sector. You know, when companies like Microsoft see their valuations go down, in a way, those have to recover before you see any benefit in a lot of other, you know, uh, smaller cap stocks. Right well, now, so, so they recover. They, they recover first, right? The you know the the crapola ain't going to turn the corner first. It's the quality that'll turn the corner first when money is interested in tech. Correct. That's generally the case, yes. I, yeah. I, would, I would add to that as well, Wolf, the stuff that is exceptionally, exceptionally oversold can bounce too. It can, okay, right. the biggest bounces. Just, just look at, was it Okta this week? Oct- uh, no, Okta Mon- last Mon- week Mon- and then MongoDB. Mongo Which again, that's a very high quality company. Hmm. Uh, and I think it's down, I think it peaked, around, 80, around, peaked around 500 and it's, you know, 
close to two now. So anyways, it's it's down a lot and certainly had a bounce, but from very low levels. But again, I'm going to go back to um, Rob. Again, I, I do look at technicals as well. Obviously, fundamentals key, uh, but the chart says a lot. And Descartes chart, not bad. Once again, we talked about that. The chart, that, that one is not trending down. It's holding its position and trying to actually grind yeah. higher. Uh, yeah. But for Amazon, Facebook, every FANG stock is trending down. A kid with a crayon uh, would put the uh, tip on that arrow in the proper end. I guarantee that. Uh, some final thoughts about the world of tech for us and uh, some of your best ideas maybe uh rob well i mean the big issue for tech is interest rates right as long as interest rates are going up then <laughs> it's hard to buy investments that aren't going to pay for years right so if interest rates start to dip down again then the tech sector will be far more positively viewed um that's probably the biggest factor yeah. um growth is always going to uh, be a part of, you know, investors' portfolios. It's just, um, it's harder to value that growth today because if you're deferring the cash, the profitability, it's worth less today in, in higher interest rates. Just yeah, I saw an incredible chart uh, from some of the research that Jack and I do pay for and subscribe called Bespoke, and they did a correlation, an overlay, uh, between the 20-year government bond, the TLT, in other words, as a symbol uh, for it, versus the uh, NASDAQ 100. And both trended lower lockstep all year long, both down about 27%. I couldn't believe the correlation between the 20-year bond and the tech market. And I want to share that with you because I was just interviewed on Yahoo Finance this week. A good friend of mine, Michelle, called me up for a story. I haven't spoken to her in a long time. I look forward to seeing that. But I was explaining to her how sensitive tech is to interest rates. And truly, I didn't learn that in the last tech wreck because we didn't have this interest rate shock that we're having right now. I learned it the hard way this time. Fortunately, I learned the lesson early. And you taught, you, you helped teach me that lesson, Doc, about rates and uh, tech stocks. And again, the reason being that tech stocks are so sensitive to interest rates is because they don't make necessarily a dollar today. They're making most of their dollars tomorrow and thereafter. And what guys like Rob Young do is they have to get a present value for tomorrow's dollars, so they discount it into the future. They use what's called a discounter rate, which is an interest rate. And when interest rates go up, the present value goes down, just like a bond. It's math. It's a little complicated. I work with pros like Jack and I. We help you through the complexity. We do the thinking for you. Uh, Jack's giving me the rap. Better than slap. Slappy. My kid used to get nightmares by some cartoon character named Slappy. <laughs> Poor Elliot. He's off at Western now. He's a big boy living on his own. I do miss him. We'll see him coming home for the holidays soon. Coach of the year, Jack Hartle, producer of the show, lining up the guest, Rob Young, excellent analyst. It's a real pleasure to work with you, Rob. I really enjoy seeing you in the hallways and uh, around the lounges. It's always Thanks, great Paul. to pick your I'll mind and, you too. and to share that with our audience is a, is a real privilege indeed. And Jack. Yeah, indeed, Jack is a good man. Coach of the year. Vote for him. He's looking for that second vote, and he deserves it. And if you're up a new market, I'm going to be like Rick Mercer from If you're up a new market, the local rate, make sure you pop in and get the fries and watch the coach on the bench. His name is Jack Hartle. It's going to be a great weekend indeed. Friends at home, have a great weekend. Thank you for your time. I look forward to spending another hour with you next Saturday right here on AM 640 Toronto. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any questions about money, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. Join us again next week.